all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Good morning and thanks for joining us. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Today, we're going to be talking about five healthy habits that can improve your heart health and lower your risk of heart disease. If you have a question or a comment for us, you can give us a call. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or you can send us an email, fit at mpbonline.org. So we're rounding out um, health month, uh, heart month, sorry, um, with this being the last Monday of February. And I wanted to spend uh, the next little bit talking about five habits that we can address and work on to lower our risk of, of heart disease. And they are absolutely uh, tips that we've talked about during other shows. We've dedicated entire shows to some of these risk factors, but I want to pull them down and highlight um, how they impact heart health and then also give you hopefully some practical um, tips for how to make changes today um, to these habits to uh, improve your heart health because it is so vitally important. Heart health and heart disease remains um, a leading cause of death, not only nationally, but also globally. And so we really do have to, we can't talk about it enough in terms of the the things that we do on a day-to-day basis that either increase our risk or decrease our risk. And I hope that if you're a regular listener of the show, you know that I talk about, you know, not being perfect Uh, None of us are, and not having to meet all of these things every single day, Um, but intentionality in what we do and the things that we choose uh, to either put in our bodies or not put in our bodies or habits that we we do on a day-to-day basis, knowing that not every day has to be perfect, Um, but at the end of the day, I hope you take a little bit of time to reflect on how your day went and what you might could do differently the next day um, to help improve your overall health. So the number one kind of healthy habit or um, strategy that we can employ to help with uh, heart health is to stop smoking. And we've talked about this um, on the show before. And if you're not a smoker, um, you know, it's still important for you to to listen to these reasons behind these things and the strategies for these things because you may know someone um, that is a smoker that is looking for 
help or assistance and being able to point them into the right direction. We focus a lot on the respiratory side effects of smoking and how that impacts, uh, you know, cancer risk and also things like emphysema and chronic bronchitis and those kinds of things. And they are very important. But I want to spend a few minutes talking about the impact of smoking specifically on heart health and how it impacts that, because it's oftentimes not not talked about as much. Or we just say, well, you know, smoking's bad for your heart, but why is it bad for your heart? Well, there's a variety of reasons. So when we talk about heart health, we talk uh, what we're talking about is heart is health of the actual heart muscle, so your actual heart, and then also the the vessels that either feed the heart or feed your body um, in terms of your, you know, your arteries and your veins and all the little capillaries that, that take blood to your body, the different parts of your body and drop off nutrients and pick up waste products and all of those different kinds of things. And so the, aside from the, the tar and the, the smoke, the chemicals that are in um, tobacco products actually cause the blood vessels to become swollen and inflamed. And so I often think about the the blood vessels of our body or the vascular system of our body like roadways, right? Because essentially that's, that's what they're doing. They're serving as conduits for delivery of nutrients and pickup of waste products. Uh, And so when those areas, when those, those pathways or those roadways get, Um, swollen and inflamed, they get narrowed and congested. Just like if there is road work going on on a, uh, you know, two-lane highway and one one lane is shut down, traffic is not going to flow well, right? And so as the blood vessels get narrowed from swelling and inflammation and also from plaque formation, then the blood does not flow as easily and as efficiently through those areas. And so that can lead to a variety of different things in terms of impaired healing uh, in, in different areas. Also, just impaired oxygen delivery to the different tissues and to the heart and the brain, right? And so anything that we can do to decrease that swelling or that inflammation is going to help clear up the congestion in that roadway, right? It's like opening a detour almost um, so that that blood can flow uh, as well as we want it to and our vascular system can work to its to its greatest benefit. So that's one way that smoking impacts heart health. The other is it does thicken the blood. And so when we have thicker blood, that increases the risk for blood clot formations, right? And if we have a blood clot, depending on where that blood clot decides to lodge itself, um, can produce a variety of different symptoms. If that is a blood clot that goes to our lung, then we're going to have, that's a pulmonary embolism, then we're going to have a whole host of, of different um, symptoms and problems than if that blood clot goes to our brain and we have a stroke. So when we couple a, you know, swollen, inflamed blood vessel with thickened blood that's more likely to clot, it's it's just kind of almost a perfect storm, so to speak, that increases our risk for things like heart attacks and strokes. You may also hear the word plaque thrown out a lot, and we're not talking about 
you know, the plaque, like plaque on your teeth. We're talking about uh, plaque that forms in the arteries, but the, the notion of thinking about um, it being a hard substance that is narrowing our blood vessels is still applicable here. And there's a variety of things that can increase plaque formation, but smoking uh, kind of lays the, the groundwork for that, so to speak, and then increase cholesterol levels and, you know, increase triglycerides and all these different kinds of things can lead to an increase in the plaque formation. And I like to think about um, the plaque as almost like a little... Um, a pothole, so to speak, that starts to get filled in with different different things, and that pothole gets bigger and bigger, and it disrupts flow, just like a pothole in the street would. So if we kind of uh, think back to the analogy of our blood vessels as being like a roadway, smoking just really causes traffic jams in multiple different ways for that. Um, so the benefits to smoking cessation are... Um, there, there are many, but they're also can be pretty rapid. So when we stop smoking, even 20 minutes after you stop smoking, your heart rate starts to, to go, go down into a more normal range. The smoking does tend to elevate our heart rate, right? And if our heart rate, our resting heart rate, at least runs fast, that's making our heart work harder than it needs to. So, uh, you know, a very quick benefit of smoking cessation is that that heart rate starting to come back down. Um, You'll also start to have increased um, delivery of oxygen to the tissues within, you know, about a day or so uh, of stopping smoking. And then within about 10 years, actually your risk of heart disease drops to the, the, that of a, a non-smoker. So it's really a, a powerful tool in working on lowering your risk of, of heart disease, heart attacks, and strokes. Um, smoking is also the most common preventable cause of peripheral artery disease. And so when we say peripheral, we're meaning, you know, kind of at the, at the farther parts of our body, like our extremities. Um, and peripheral artery disease and peripheral vascular disease is one of those things that can lead to um, a kind of chronic swelling in your legs, um, ulcers and wounds that don't heal, um, infections that can get in those wounds that don't heal, leading to you know, amputations and those kinds of things. So if we're listening and we want to stop smoking or we know someone who is struggling with smoking cessation, there are a multitude of resources that are available for you. Some that you can look for today are things like smokefree.gov. Okay? Um, that is a website that has lots of free information and resources. If you're not an internet person and you prefer to use the phone, you can call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. That's also, that's the quit hotline that has lots of resources um, available. Most people that um, are ultimately successful in smoking cessation were not successful the first time. So if you have tried and, and are back smoking, um, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't matter. Keep trying. Um, and there are lots of folks that are available to help you with that. We've had the folks from the ACT 
Center at UMC on the show before. You can, uh, you know, search in our archives on, on mpbonline.org slash Southern Remedy and look for those, um, the show that we've had from the ACT Center, or you can email me, fit at mpbonline.org, and I'm happy to get you information about about smoking cessation and about the ACT program in general. Um, but my my tip for that is to let people know, right? And I, and that's for any healthy habit you're trying to to work on is, you know, be be firm with your your declaration. Like I'm I am working on smoking cessation, and this is how I need for you to help me. Um, and and tell that to your family and your friends so that they are there to support you in these endeavors. One other. Um, kind of tip that I would like to briefly mention about smoking is that if you are a man age 65 to 75 who has ever smoked, um, talk with your healthcare provider about getting an abdominal aortic aneurysm screening. The abdominal um, aorta gets weakened by uh, smoking. And if that if there's an aneurysm that forms there, that can be quite life-threatening. And so that is a one-time kind of ultrasound of that particular area. So if you fall in that category of folks, have a conversation with your healthcare provider about getting that screening test performed. I'm Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. you for joining us today here on Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm your host, Josie Bidwell, nurse practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And today we're talking about five habits that have a huge impact on your heart health. Uh, In the first segment of the show, we talked about the role of smoking in heart health and how we can you know, how we can start to work on that, how we can support others who are going um, going through those things. And if you have any questions or comments about that or you need any additional resources, please email me, fit at mpbonline.org, or give me a call here on the air. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring Our second habit um, is one that we've, we've talked a lot about on this show as well, and it's it's movement. And 
Um, you know, I'm trying to move away from talking about it strictly in terms of, of physical activity or exercise and just focus on the importance of movement in our daily life. Uh, sometimes the word exercise in particular has a lot of negative emotions surrounding it and and uh, you may may not be something that you enjoy or unfortunately a lot of people associate exercise as something that they have to do to to earn their food or a treat that they've had or any of these other kinds of things which we've talked a lot about on on different episodes of the show so I won't dig down too too far into that but that's a a a different way of thinking about uh, physical activity and one that I would like to push us a little farther away from and really start to focus on just uh, how we add movement to our day um a quick reminder on the you know how much movement um, we're supposed to be getting. It's about 150 minutes a week of moderate intensity physical activity, um, which are um, things where you um, your breathing starts to pick up a little bit, um, but you're not completely out of breath. Um, you can carry on a conversation, but you could not sing. That's kind of the intensity that we're striving to get to. And you notice I said get to. Does it mean that's where you have to start if you are not currently um, integrating, you know, kind of structured movement into your day? Then that's not where we want to start. We want to just start on building the habit of movement and then work on building the um, amount and the intensity as we go along. Hey, Josie. What? Absolutely. Go ahead. We have a caller on the line. All right. Who are we talking to this morning? It is Sissy, who's called in from Vicksburg. All right. Good morning. How can we help you? Hey, uh, Doc. I was going to tell you, since you changed to movement, my favorite, uh-huh. if you choose something that's fun, like dancing, like yes. you get up every morning and dance, then your heart rate's up and your day goes so much easier. Uh, because I think dancing is fun, but uh, I don't like walking on a treadmill. But I wanted to go back to smoking. give you a couple of tips that have actually worked for me and another loved one. My loved one was told uh, she had a cancer scare at a young age, and it ended up not being cancer, but the doctor told her, you got to quit smoking, and he said, my suggestion, smoke one less per day, and that worked for her. She smoked one less per day until she, when she was back, when she was down to one cigarette, her body had gotten used to you know, just smoking more. The decrease. Yeah, absolutely. Ended up quitting. And then, but what worked for me, and I've told a lot of other people about it, was the 10 milligram mint flavored um, gum. Mm-hmm. And um, it was very expensive. I really didn't have the money to do it, but I had waked up that morning and lit a cigarette and my blood pressure just through the roof. Mm-hmm. And I got an instant blood pressure headache. So I didn't smoke one until that evening and tried it again, and it did the same thing. I said, I've got to quit. I've got to quit or die. And so um, I called my professional smoker friend. If he's not smoking, he has a piece of gum in his mouth. And he (laughs) told me what time to get. He said, 10 milligram mint flavored, and I got Walmart. It was like $40 at the time. Now, the box said, we suggest you use nine per day. I said, no. I am a pen to pen. I'm just going to break one open in the back of my mouth when I want a cigarette only. And I'm telling you, I quit in three days. 
Mm-hmm. First day I had one, and any picture that I am, I would take it back out of my mouth, put it in some temple. And then when I wanted a cigarette again, I'd put it back in the back of my mouth and bite it again. And in three days' time, I ended up using just three pieces of gum, mm-hmm. and I had quit. And I had been smoking wow. since I was 13, yeah. off and on. So that really works. And I told my cousin in New York about it. She did it. It worked. And I've uh, told several people about it. I don't know if they tried it or not. But those are just two simple things, uh, you know, to quit, to yeah. quit smoking now. I've never vaped, so I can't, I can't see vaping being healthy for you either. So I don't it's know how not. To it's not. There's a whole uh, different host of, of health problems that come from, from vaping. Yeah. Depending on, you know, there's the nicotine vapes and then there are the non-nicotine vapes and, you know, the different chemicals that are in there. So it's not not a healthier choice. But first of all, congratulations on your journey to smoking cessation. I know it was not easy. Um, what I love about what I love about your call today is you gave us two two strategies that worked for yourself and someone you know, and they were different, right? You know, so not everybody's journey has to look the same. And if maybe we've been less than successful with with one you know quit method in the past, we can try other things. There's a whole host of things out there. Um, so just don't don't give up to those that are listening who right. maybe have tried several times. We're here to help you um, through those things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I just wanted to, you know, tell you about that, and thank you for your show. I'll continue. You're welcome. Thank Bye-bye. you so much. Have a good rest of your week. You too. All right. Bye. All right. That was a great call, and I hope you guys um, got inspired by listening to her story and just, you know, highlighting those things that, Oftentimes, one of the most successful ways for smoking cessation is a combination of behavioral counseling and strategies, like she mentioned, with the smoke one less per day, as well as some form of um, medication, whether that be nicotine replacement from a gum, a lozenge, um, you know, any of those kinds of devices, or, um, you know, something like a bupropion or something like that that's a medication. So there's lots of strategies out there for you to um, to track. She also mentioned dancing. And what I like about that is she found something she enjoys, right? And that is kind of my number one tip for adding movement is find what you enjoy. Because if you hate it, you won't do it long term, right? Um, even if uh, you do it consistently for a week or two, if you, it's not something that you look forward to, it's not something that you're going to stick with long term, most likely. So she mentioned dancing, of course. That's my preferred method of exercise as well. Um, and, you know, mine's a little bit more formal with things like uh, Zumba. Um, but it can be really, really informal, like the dance parties that I have with my kiddos. And I actually received an email from a listener um, a couple weeks back that said she really enjoys the theme song to um, to this show. And so when we go on commercial breaks, she does some little dancing to the, the theme song uh, during our breaks. And that, it just made my day, made me so happy. One, that you're spending a little bit of your uh, your Monday with me, or if you're listening to us on the podcast, 
Um, you're spending a little bit of time with me and you're taking those little opportunities, those little breaks that we have in there to get some movement in. And it really is so very important. Um, instead of focusing on movement per se, I want to spend a second to talk about why we just need to not sit so much. You've probably heard that sitting is the new smoking, and that was a, a tagline that came out a couple of years ago. But what does that actually mean? Well, the act of sitting and being sedentary um, actually increases our risk of heart disease and stroke independent of our physical activity levels. So let's say you are um, getting your 150 minutes a week of physical activity, but you spend a large portion of your day sitting and being sedentary. That, that sedentary behavior, even though you're physically active for the recommended amount of time, also increases your risk for heart disease. And so that may sound like, well, what's the point, right? Well, they're independent of each other. So we certainly don't want to have both, right, where we're not physically active and we're being um, we're, we're sitting for prolonged periods of time. So, you know, pick pick one, whichever one you feel most confident of being able to do. But one often leads to the other. Right. So if we're sitting less then we usually are moving more. But when we look at um, when people are sedentary, right, a lot of times it's in the workplace. Right? We have much more um, lower impact jobs than historically. So much, um, many more of us are spending time at a desk, at a computer, those kinds of things, which has only increased over the past couple of years with a lot of things going virtual. But then we also have leisure time sedentary behaviors like watching TV, listening to music, reading and writing, knitting, sewing, playing video games, or just riding in a car for our commute. And so those can all be opportunities um, to sit less as well. Well, maybe not the riding in the car. Don't stand up while you're riding in the car. But some of these other activities, when we're watching TV, just like the lady who mentioned she, she dances during, um, during our breaks here on the show to our theme music, think about ways you can get some movement in during your, your television routine, right? So... One of the things that, that I do is I, so I don't like to iron, but I must because my children wear um, school uniforms and they have to be, they have to be ironed. And so I iron while I'm watching my show at nighttime. So I don't watch a ton of TV at night, but um, when I do, I iron. Therefore, I am getting my show in, right? I'm doing an activity that doesn't require a ton of brain power, right? But I'm also getting a, a not-so-fun chore done. So I'm kind of combining both of those at one time. Uh, I also really, really love to read. Um, but one thing I will do is put on an audio book and listen while I'm cleaning up the kitchen or doing the dishes or folding laundry, those different kinds of things, um, so that I'm not just sitting and reading. Now, I'm a champion, um, curl up with a good book and read, and there are times for that as well. Um, but looking for ways to just sit less during your day really can um, be beneficial for your overall heart health. So if you don't feel like you're ready to embark on a you know physical activity journey and add a whole lot of movement into your day, just focus on how you sit less and maybe 
set a timer on your watch or your phone or if you're at home, a timer on your, your microwave or your oven or whatever that reminds you to get up and um, at least just stand up and move around every hour or so there. I'm Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. Slowly, we started, you know, picking these turtles up and saving them. I'll stop traffic, grab one out of the road. And then our friends found out, and our vet would call us. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. We are now a full-fledged, nonprofit turtle rescue. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. Mile Marker, a Mississippi Roads podcast. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Josie Bidwell, nurse practitioner at UMNC, and today we've been going through kind of five healthy habits that can improve your heart health. We've talked about smoking cessation, about movement and less sitting. And we're going to spend the next couple of minutes uh, talking about sleep. Um, If you've listened to the show before, you know that I um, consider sleep to be one of the foundational parts of health and something that we do not give enough attention to. And we, we kind of tend to just gloss over it um, and assume that we're all supposed to be tired. Hey, Josie. And, Kevin, go ahead. Um, can I jump back to movement for just a bit before we jump into Absolutely. sleep? Absolutely. So you, you were talking about sitting and that sort of thing. And if you have a job where you have to sit a lot, does it help to even just may say every 20 minutes if you can stand up and walk around the office and sit back down? Absolutely. You don't even have, I mean, I would love for you to walk around, but just standing up and, you know, moving in place. I have a lot of um, people that are patients that I work with that um, maybe are doing um, scheduling or customer service jobs where they kind of have to be at their their desk and they don't, you know, kind of have the option to be able to to leave that desk area. And we talk about just just standing up because you can talk on the phone and stand up. So just setting that reminder that you have there um, to, to stand up um, and you can walk in place. Um, you can, you know, stretch your arms, you know, uh, bend over, touch your toes, do lots of different kinds of things to get that blood flowing. But anything that gets you off your bum counts and, you know, is a great way to lower that risk of heart disease. So it's a great point you had there, Kevin. Thank you for making that. All right. If we uh, let's let's drive back over to to sleep for a second and think about because it's not readily apparent how sleep affects heart health. So I want to talk to you a little bit about how that happens. But we tend to think about sleep as just 
the absence of being awake, right? And so it's just this kind of passive process that happens where we're just not aware of what's going on around us. And we do that for some hours and, you know, we wake up and go on about our day. But it is a very active process that is going on where different things are occurring in our body um, from muscle um, repair and growth to different hormones being secreted that are going to impact, you know, our um, cravings for different foods and um, our blood sugar levels. But in terms of heart health, one thing that occurs during sleep is our blood pressure is able to start to decline, right, or start to, to fall. So it's kind of the time for our heart to, to rest a little bit. It's not going to stop beating or stop having blood pressure. That's, that's not what we're wanting. But it is a time for the blood pressure to return to you know, normal levels and be in a much, uh, much more consistent, relaxed manner. And so if we're not sleeping well, whether that be insomnia, so we're not falling asleep or staying asleep, Um, whether that be from some type of sleep disorder like sleep apnea or uh, periodic limb movement, restless leg type disorder, or whether it just be from, um, you know, poor uh, sleep hygiene and sleep environment where we're, you know, delaying our sleep, we're trying to get in extra work or whatever it is that we're doing, um, or we're having multiple awakenings during the night because the TV's on or the, the room is noisy or you're hot or all these different kinds of things. And impairing that that restorative sleep doesn't let that blood pressure kind of chill. And so if you already have high blood pressure, it makes it much harder to get good control of it. Um, and if you don't, it is not letting your heart kind of rest and so over time is going to contribute to um, you know uh, worse heart health higher blood pressure higher risk of things like heart attacks and strokes so uh, we want to shoot for about seven to nine hours that of quality sleep not seven to nine hours in the bed a lot of people confuse those things um, because a lot of people use their bedroom as their relaxation spot and so they spend a lot of time in the bed not sleeping doing other things like watching tv or reading or scrolling through your phone or all these other different kinds of things and then we just kind of cut those screens off and expect to fall asleep, and it, it doesn't work that way, right? Um, our our body is kind of a creature of habit, and if we do things other than sleeping in the bed, other, you know, TV and, and those kinds of things, then our body gets a little bit confused, so to speak, about uh, the role of the of the bed, and it, it keeps us from getting those sleep cues. So setting yourself up for success when it when it relates to sleep is really important. So um, having a regular sleep time is the first um, kind of thing that I recommend when, we, when I start to work with folks on their sleep is, especially if they don't have any control over um, what time they, they wake up in the morning. Um, you know, if you have to be up by 530 to get your kids ready for school and get out the door and, and all those kinds of things, then we have to look at what time realistically we have to be asleep to start to get 
um, some improved quantity and quality of sleep there. And so setting a regular sleep time is one of those things that helps. And maintaining that that kind of regular sleep-wake cycle, even on the weekends and even on vacation and those kinds of things, which is hard, but helps us establish, again, that routine that we have for our body. Um, And we want to help support that routine by reducing our screen time, right? Our exposure to the blue light that comes from things like TVs and cell phones and laptops and all those kinds of things. Um, The kind of gold standard is to have those things off 90 minutes before you want to go to sleep, which like anything we do, we can start with a smaller goal or a more achievable goal and work our way up, right? So if you are someone who routinely watches television in the bed um, and, you know, has trouble sleeping and all these different kinds of things, then let's think about what time you want to, that you need to be asleep. Maybe it's 11. You need to be asleep by 11. Then let's start maybe cutting the TV off and getting rid of the other screens by 1030, right? And see how that goes. And then we can back it up to 10, maybe even 930. But giving ourselves a little break from that screen time to help our internal clock realize what time of the day it is, right, really helps us start to establish a normal sleep wake cycle. Some other things that help are having kind of a wind down system that cues our body that it's bedtime, right? So most people brush their teeth before bed. And so that, that is one of those cues, but it could be something else. Like maybe you also, um, have a nightly, um, uh, skincare regimen that you do, um, or it's a warm shower or a warm bath. All of those things help, but things that you consistently do leading up to bedtime so that your brain starts to clue itself into the fact that it is bedtime and that you are about to start the process of going to sleep. The third piece of that is keeping your room cool and dark and comfortable, right, and quiet. And so that may be using blackout curtains if your bedroom window faces a a street that's got a bunch of street lights on it. Um, It may be adjusting your thermostat down a little bit. It may be using a white noise machine to try and block out um, noise in the room if you've got a roommate or something like that that makes noise. Um, Something to kind of work on Um, reducing any of those noises that may wake you up. And just like when we were talking about smoking cessation and we talked about how not everybody's process is going to look the same, not everybody's sleep hygiene process is going to look the same. And what may work for one may not work for another. But it is crucially important that we work on our sleep. So if you are not sleeping well, for whatever reason, whether it be trouble falling asleep, trouble staying asleep, um, waking up multiple times, snoring, waking up with headaches first thing in the morning, talk to your healthcare provider about your sleep issues. We want to make sure that we don't have an underlying sleep disorder that we can um, address. Um, And if not, then work in helping you build a healthier sleep pattern and sleep habit system there. 
All right, before we take our next break, we want to talk about the fourth habit because it kind of combines with the fifth habit, uh, and so we'll do them together. But the fourth one is um, losing uh, excess weight, right? And weight gain in particular can contribute to a lot of these other issues that we talked about. In particular, sleep. It can make it make us more prone to have sleep disorders like obstructive sleep apnea. Um, but working on achieving a healthy weight um, is an important step in lowering your risk of cardiovascular disease. And a lot of times, people think that to lose weight, we have to decrease our food. And it's not about de- it's not about changing the amount of food as much as it is changing the kinds of food. I'm Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit, and I'm Josie Bidwell, nurse practitioner at UMMC. And we've been talking about five healthy habits that can uh, improve your heart health and lower your risk of heart disease. If you missed uh, the majority of the show, we've talked about um, smoking cessation, movement, and less sitting, um, sleep, and working on achieving achieving and maintaining a healthy weight. Um, We're going to spend the last segment of the show talking about how we do that, how we achieve and maintain a healthy weight. And in diet culture, which is where a lot of us uh, see messaging, it is about reduction in food, right? Because essentially we want to take in less calories um, than, than we need or than we, than we burn, right, in order to lose weight. And so diet culture is going to tell us that we need to restrict things and we need to have small portions and we need to eat less. And that can work for some people and it can work for a lot of people in the short term, but it does not usually work for most people in the long term because being hungry is not fun. And when you restrict sizes of things and you go down to these tiny portions of things and you cut whole food groups or whole macronutrient groups out of your diet, um, it's very hard to sustain that. And so we want to focus not on eating less, but eating different foods, eating more of the foods that are going to help you 
um, be full, but also uh, have less calorie intake, right? And so one of the ways that we do that is by moving to a plant-predominant way of eating. And if you've listened to the show before, you know, I'm a big proponent of plant-based eating. Um, And a lot of people, of course, the number one thing I get asked is, um, well, what do you eat? Or what is a plant, um, plant-based diet? And so the most important thing that I can tell you is what a plant-based uh, diet is not. Okay, a plant-based way of eating is not vegan. It is not vegetarian. It is not, um, it is not hard. Um, and it is not uh, restrictive uh, in terms of the way that you build your plate. Um, plant-predominant eating means just that. It means that the predominant food on your plate comes from a plant source, right? And the way we like to teach it in lifestyle medicine um, is based on a program called Full Plate Living, um, which emphasizes a 75% plate and a 25% plate. So looking at your plate and dividing it into a 75% section and a 25% section. And that 75% of the plate, right? So the the majority of that plate is full of fiber, right? Fiber only lives in plants. So it's things like beans and lentils and other legumes, Um, greens, whether that be spinach or um, cabbage or kale or turnip greens or collard greens or, you know, any of the variety of greens out there. Um, other veggies, right? Any veggie that you enjoy, right? Fruits and whole grains. That's that's the foundation of a plant predominant way of eating. So building your plate out 75% with those foods. Um, when we're looking at ways to add um, beans or lentils, think about a way to add a half a cup um, to your to your day if you're just starting, right? In your greens, think about a cup raw or two cups of cooked greens, right? Think of all the other veggies that are out there and what you like. Um, And thinking about those fruits, right? About two to three servings of fruits a day and building your plate that way. Those foods are going to fill you up because they are full of fiber and they are also full of water. So they take up a lot of bulk in your stomach for not a lot of calories. They are also going to be cholesterol-free as well. So really focusing on 75% of your plate as those foods is a way to be full and take in less calories. So what about that 25% of the plate? What do we put there? Well, we don't want to go crazy. We don't want 25% of our plate as donuts, right? Although there is nothing wrong with a donut if you choose to eat one. Um, but we do want to, the majority of the time, still pick lean sources of things or healthier sources of things to go in that 25%, right? It could be a low-fat dairy product. It could be a non-dairy product like a, a soy milk or an almond milk, something like that, or a, you know, a soy-based cheese or an almond-based cheese or tofu or something like that. Um, It could be an avocado. It could be some nuts or nut butters. Those are all plant-based foods there. Um, They they don't go on the 75% of the plate because they are more calories than they are water, so to speak. Um, But this could also be where um, a piece of um, skinless chicken goes or a piece of salmon or tuna goes or an egg. 
So a plant-predominant diet, that's why I said it is not vegan, it is not vegetarian, it is focused on the plants. And so a lot of people get turned off when they hear the word plant-based diet because they think that means they can't have any animal products. And while that absolutely can be a strategy that you work toward, um, that does not have to be where you ultimately end up. If that is what is keeping you from adopting a plant-based diet, know that it doesn't have to be that way. Any progression to more plants and less of the other is a viable strategy for reducing your um, risk of heart disease and helping you achieve and maintain a healthy weight. Well, we don't want to wind up on that plate very often are things like processed meats um, and super processed foods. Those are, are not going to push us closer to our goal of heart health in general. If you want more information about how to adopt a plant-based way of eating, like I mentioned, my favorite resource is Full Plate Living. Um, I am not reimbursed by them for anything. It's just a good program that's out there, and it is free. Um, lots of free resources on how to adopt um, a plant-predominant way of eating. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners So if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org. Do you drive a vehicle? Then you'll find AutoCorrect helpful, especially on Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Listen to our podcast with me, Coach Charlie Melton, on any podcasting platform or on the MPB Public Media app.